What bird can lift the most? A crane. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Starting Sustainability. This is episode 118. I'm your host, Kaylin Chenoweth. I hope everybody is having a wonderful April. Here in Indiana, April is traditional. It's about 70 degrees one day, and then two days later it's snowing, and we're back up to the 50s, and then we're back to snowing. It's just, the weather is all over the place in April. It's insane. You literally have to bust out both wardrobes, your winter wardrobe and your summer wardrobe. <laughs> so it's been making packing up and moving very, um, challenging. I was going to say interesting. Complex is really the word. A lot of plans keep getting changed because the weather doesn't know what it's doing and we're at the weather's mercy on a lot of things. In terms of catching up on what I've been up to for the last couple of weeks, everything related to the move. Just packing, calling utility companies, canceling here, setting up there, just closing on houses. It's just been nuts. I'm actually recording this episode and editing it about one week before the big move. Therefore, I'll have to let you know how the whole move and Easter and everything went on the next episode. For this episode, I'm going to talk about three different subjects. I want to talk about World Health Day, which was April 7th, and I realized that about three days prior to it. So even though we missed it, I still want to talk about it because it's still very relevant. And I'm going to talk about Earth Day coming up in different ways that you can celebrate, including springtime foraging and the importance of native plants. And then right after Earth Day is Stop Food Waste Day. So I'm going to touch base on that. So I've got a lot of topics going on in this one episode for you. So be prepared. You're going to learn a lot this week. Okay, like I said, topic number one, World Health Day. That is celebrated on April 7th. Why April 7th? Because that marks the date of the anniversary of the founding of WHO, W-H-O, and that was in 1948. And WHO stands for World Health Organization, not the band, if that was who you're thinking of. <laughs> this year, the topic for World Health Day is Our Planet, Our Health. How is the planet related to our health? Clean air, water, and food are not available to all. And when the planet is polluted, diseases like cancer, asthma, and heart disease increase. So this is a direct quote from WHO. WHO estimates that more than 13 million deaths around the world each year are due to avoidable environmental causes. This includes the climate crisis, which is the single biggest health threat facing humanity. The climate crisis is also a health crisis. And that's why I really want to talk about World Health Day, because I am a dietitian, I'm in the healthcare industry, and I also care a lot about sustainability, and they overlap a lot, and people don't realize it. For some reason, people just think caring about the earth is a political stance. And I'm like, I think anybody who cares about health in general should also care about the earth. So thank you to World Health Day for highlighting how both are connected and how we have to address both issues in order to solve both issues. To examine the connection more closely, the political, social, and commercial decisions of our societies drive the climate and health crisis. The burning of fossil fuels for gas, energy, factory production, all of that, results in over 90% of people breathing unhealthy air. Each year, the atmosphere and oceans are getting warmer, also known as global warming, 
The warmer weather results in mosquitoes spreading diseases farther and faster than ever before. People are being displaced and their health is affected by extreme weather events, land depletion, and water scarcity. Pollution and plastics are found at the bottom of our deepest oceans, the highest mountains, and have made their way into our food chain. Yes, plastic is in our food chain. We discussed that once before. I think the most shocking fact was that it is estimated we consume a credit card's worth of plastic each week. And you bet this wreaks havoc on our gut microbiomes. Profit-driven systems produce highly processed, unhealthy foods and beverages, driving a wave of obesity, increasing cancer and heart disease, while generating a third of global greenhouse gas emissions, contributing again to global warming. So in what ways can we promote both a healthy planet and our own health? To be honest, there is a long list. I have about 118 episodes worth of material on ways that you can promote healthy planet. (laughs) And promoting your own health is definitely sprinkled within there. But for now, I'm going to use the list that the World Health Organization created and is promoting. The first one is to walk or pedal to work at least one day a week. They want you to choose public transport. Think about it. If 50 people take the bus instead of 50 cars, that's a whole lot less fossil fuel burning and polluting the air. The next is to look into your current power company to find out how they get their power. Is it from fossil fuels, nuclear, wind energy, solar? Most people don't know, so you can look in and find out. And if you are able to, you can change to a renewable energy provider. And then to reduce energy consumption, they recommend not heating your rooms to over 70 degrees Fahrenheit in the wintertime and turning off the light when you're not in the room. Next is to buy your fresh groceries from local producers and avoid highly processed foods and beverages. (laughs) This one's my favorite. Tobacco is a killer and a polluter. Stop consuming tobacco. (laughs) Straight from the World Health Organization. Very simple and bold at the same time. After that is buy less plastic. Woo woo. (laughs) I preach that all the time. Use reusable items instead of disposable ones. Ideas include grocery bags, produce bags, napkins, straws, food storage bags, water bottles, and sponges. And the last is to buy secondhand, share with friends, family, and colleagues, or make your own things. Reducing consumption of brand new items will reduce air pollution, factory production, and spare precious resources. Again, thank you to the World Health Organization for producing information about World Health Day. Even though it's a little bit after (laughs) April 7th, we can still celebrate this all year round. From one holiday on to the next, Earth Day. Earth Day is April 22nd, which is this Friday. Many people want to get out and start planting trees, flowers, and gardening, and this is all great, and I do encourage this. I also am aware that if you don't know what you're doing, you're going to be wasting your money on plants, time and effort planting them, and be disappointed when they don't make it. just from my own personal experience. (laughs) So I want to highlight a couple of ways that you can celebrate Earth Day. Planting things is a big part of Earth Day. However, appreciating the Earth is also a big part of it. So going out in nature and enjoying the benefits of fresh air, clean water, and free food. Yes, that's right. I'm talking about springtime foraging. I did cover foraging back in the fall, but now that it is springtime, there is a whole new plethora of plants to look for and try. 
So here are five plants that are widely available across the U.S. and are easily identified. The first one is dandelions. Everybody should know what a dandelion is by now, and if you don't, you can look it up. <laughs> dandelions are the quintessential spring foraging plant with edible and medicinal flowers, leaves, and roots. They are super easy to identify, and any lookalikes are also edible and medicinal as well, so there are no worries there. You can make a dandelion salve with the flowers, dandelion pesto with the leaves, and dandelion root coffee with the roots. Number two is clovers. Both red and white clovers are beneficial to us in many ways. The blossoms are sweet and edible, perfect for adding to baked goods or infusing into honey. Red clover is especially high in vitamins and minerals and makes a wonderful tea. Now I do remember playing baseball, softball, t-ball really, <laughs> when I was young and being bored to death out in the outfield like many kids are. And I always look in the grass and you look for the clovers, like the three-leaf clover, the four-leaf clover, and then they had the little flowers sticking out. And I would pick those flowers as a kid and pull the petals out and suck on them because they were really sweet. And that's how I killed time when I was forced to do t-ball and softball. <laughs> I also learned recently that once upon a time when you would buy grass seed, clover seeds were also in the mix. And then at some point in time, somebody deemed that clovers were weeds and pulled them out. So it's just pure grass. But having clovers in your grass is very beneficial. My favorite is that you don't have to mow them nearly as often. <laughs> so at this new house, that's one of the first things I'm going to do is buy a whole bunch of clover seeds and cover the yard with it because it's five acres. That's a lot of mowing. Number three is cattails and their pollen. So cattails are known as the ultimate survival plant as every part of the plant can be used in some way. The young shoots that come up in the spring are the tastiest part, resembling the flavor of a cucumber and they can be eaten raw. The yellow pollen that covers the flower spike in the late spring or the early summer makes a delicious foraged flower substitute. I was always wondering, like, how did people way back in the day, how did they make bread? Because having processed flour wasn't readily available. So this is how they did their baked items. They used cattail pollen. Just Googling around different ways you can use cattails, I found a recipe for cattail pollen pasta. So you can search that as well. Number four is wild asparagus. Yes, that's my husband's favorite vegetable. Random fun fact. <laughs> wild asparagus is one that I have never found myself, but would absolutely love to one day. They are found in patchy areas throughout the United States and Canada and are notoriously difficult to spot. Wild asparagus is just like regular garden asparagus in flavor, which means it's delicious. And the last one, number five, is willow. Most everyone is familiar with the soft and fuzzy pussy willows that emerge in the springtime. Not everyone knows that the willow is a highly medicinal tree. White willow bark, in particular, is a powerful pain reliever. It actually has the same compounds in it as aspirin. So you can take the willow bark and make a tea out of it and that will help ease your aches and pains. And then I do have a bonus number six on here. It's basically mushrooms and that's where I leave it. <laughs> I know that there are morel mushrooms, oyster mushrooms, porcini mushrooms, all available out there. I am not a mushroom expert, so I'm not comfortable on explaining how to identify and find certain mushrooms. 
The main reason that I heed caution when foraging mushrooms is because you really have to be absolutely sure you know exactly what that mushroom is. Because as the famous saying goes, all mushrooms are edible, but some only once. Meaning there are many lookalikes that are poisonous. So I personally am not comfortable telling you, go get mushrooms and eat them. <laughs> that is on you. If you want to do that, make sure you know 100% without a doubt what you are eating before you put it in your mouth. That is my short and simple list for springtime foraging, just to get you started. Get the basics, easy identifiable plants. I think you're gonna have a great time looking for them. I am very excited to get out and go looking for them after this move. <laughs> but maybe foraging is not your cup of tea and you don't like to do that. Maybe you're like me and have a desire to garden, but really have no idea what you are doing and are terrible at it. Then I would like to suggest native plants. Gardening is tough. You have to figure out the different soils, fertilizers, how close or far apart to plant each plant, and where, if it's full sun, part sun, full shade, all that stuff. I'm not even sure if companion planting is a real thing or not. And then you have to baby the plants and water them regularly and fend off the bugs and rabbits, birds, and all the other creatures that want to eat the plant. <laughs> this is way too much work in my opinion. But with native plants, much of the guesswork and hard work is removed. Hallelujah. <laughs> a garden full of plants and I don't have to do that much work. Yes, tell me more. If a plant occurs naturally in a particular region, ecosystem, or habitat and was not introduced by humans, then it is considered a native plant. And native plants offer sustainable habitats with native wildlife. When humans transplant a plant from one part of the world to another or cultivate plants into forms that don't exist in nature, like broccoli doesn't exist in nature. Orange carrots also don't exist in nature. Those were all cultivated. When humans cultivate these plants, the result is an exotic plant. So you either have native or exotic. I never realized that orange carrots were exotic, but they are. <laughs> So these exotic plants do not support wildlife as well as native plants, and they can even escape into the wild and become invasive or destroy natural habitats. Growing native plants to your region and area means that they will thrive in the soils, moisture, and natural weather conditions. This means less supplemental watering and pest problems that require toxic chemicals. So how do you know which plants are native to your area? I didn't know how to tell which ones were native or not, and so I found this really beautiful website, www.nwf.org backslash native plant finder. You can also just go to Google and literally search native plant finder and it will pop up. When you get to the site, you enter in your zip code and it will tell you the native plants for your location. It will share flowers, grasses, shrubs, and trees. Do know these native plants will attract butterflies, moths, and their caterpillars, which will attract birds and other wildlife, but you don't have to spray pesticides. Native plants have a symbiotic relationship with the natural ecosystem. So just plant them and watch your backyard come to life with its own little ecosystem. And the last holiday for the month of April that I want to talk about in this episode is April 26th. That will be Stop Food Waste Day. And on this day, the focus is to reduce as much food waste as possible. Why do we need to be concerned about food waste? And why do we need to put in such an effort to stop it? 
Well, the scale of the food waste problem is very staggering. 33% of all food produced is wasted every year. That translates to $1.2 trillion worth of food annually. If food waste were a country, it would be the third largest greenhouse gas emission producing country in the world. Almost 50% of all fruits and vegetables produced are wasted every year globally, which is equivalent to about 3.7 trillion apples. That's insane. If 25% of the food currently lost or wasted were saved, it would be enough to feed 870 million hungry people. So how can you stop food waste? I have a list of 10 tips of things that you can do at home to reduce and stop food waste. Number one is to make a grocery list. <laughs> Play in a menu and make a list of just the things that you need. Because a family of four loses $1,500 a year on wasted food. By planning ahead and making lists and only buying what you need, you will not only spare the food from rotting and ending up in the landfill, but you will save money too. Number two is to learn the art of freezing. Each of us tosses nearly 300 pounds of food each year. Get in the habit of freezing leftovers, bread, vegetables, and fruit instead of tossing them in the garbage. My kids are notorious for demanding bananas. I peel the banana and they each take one bite and then the banana is done. So instead of throwing the banana away, I save what is left because it's still good. I save what's left, I put it in Tupperware and I freeze it. And then on Saturday morning, we blend up the bananas with all the other half eaten fruit that I have frozen and we have beautiful, delicious smoothies. It's actually quite adorable because when I hit the button, the smoothie button on the blender, the kids wave their hands and they wiggle their fingers and they think it's magic and they go, go! And then it starts pulsing and then it's a ninja blender. So it stops, then it goes and it stops and it goes. So they keep like throwing their hands up and they think they have magic powers. It's awesome. Number three, by reducing your food waste, you're actually saving a lot of water. Wasting a pound of beef is equivalent to running the shower for 370 minutes. Ooh, that's a long shower. You're going to run out of hot water. <laughs> so the longer the meat is left out in room temperature, the quicker it'll spoil. Always shop for meat, poultry, and seafood last, and then go directly home and put it away. Number four, revive your veggies. A quick soak in ice water for about five to 10 minutes can revive your wilted vegetables. Even if they can't be restored, some veggies you intended to eat raw in your salad can still shine in a cooked dish. Number five, Overcooked isn't over for good. Overcooked vegetables can always be transformed into soups or sauces. Just toss them in the blender with soup stock, milk, or cream. Vegetables like broccoli, carrots, cauliflower, and potatoes are excellent for this. Number six, less air equals less freezer burn. This is part of the art of freezing. You get freezer burn when food oxidizes in the freezer. That means it literally just reacted with oxygen. You probably won't eat a whole loaf of bread all at once, so you can slice it up and then pop it in the freezer. Always squeeze any excess air from the plastic bag or container, and this will reduce freezer burn. Just so you know, freezer burn is completely harmless. It just affects the taste of the food. Number seven, don't be bananas. Browning or spoiled bananas are perfectly fine to eat. Bruised parts of bananas can be easily cut away or used. Very brown bananas and frozen bananas are great for baking quick breads, muffins, or cakes. Working in food service, I have learned people are extremely particular about their bananas. 
So at my last job, not the one I'm at now, but at my last job, I worked at a nursing home and the residents there were so picky about their bananas. We in the food service world had a running joke. When we order a case of bananas, it comes in on the truck and it's bright green, 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 green. And it will be green for about a week or so. And then it will turn perfect yellow, which is what everybody wanted was that perfect yellow banana for about 20 minutes. And then it would turn brown right after that. (laughs) So we could never get rid of these bananas. We were just like in this endless vortex of sitting on green, green bananas. And then all of a sudden they were brown. But we did make a ton of banana bread, banana muffins, banana, anything that we could shove bananas in, we made with those bananas. And you can do that too at home. Number eight is to waste less with kids. Start with small portions and minimize untouched food. We want our kids to try new foods, but studies show many children have to try food up to 15 times before accepting it. So you can always offer seconds when they're interested. This is something that I do at home. I will literally put one to two bites of each food item from the meal on their plate. And once they eat it all and ask for more, I'm happy to get them more. My husband thinks that they are miniature adults. So he puts big old helpings all over their plates. And then he gets mad when they didn't eat any of it. I'm sure all the other parents out there have been in the exact same boat. Number nine is to use it up. 90% of us throw away food too soon. Utilize recipes during the week that will use up the food that's about to go bad in your pantry or refrigerator. Just because your lettuce is wilted doesn't mean it's time to toss it. You can use it other ways. And number 10, get creative. 40% of food in America is wasted. Avoid wasting food by seeing what needs to be used up before you go to the grocery store. This is that famous refrigerator audit Stephanie Miller talked about when I interviewed her. Just a couple times a week, open up refrigerator and take an audit. What is about to go bad? What needs to get eaten up next? And plan meals and snacks around those food items. That was my list of 10, but there are so many more ways that you can prevent food waste. So I'd really like for everybody to hop onto the Facebook group, Starting Sustainability. So if you're a member already, excellent. If not, join in. By the way, side note, I see requests of people joining the group. And when I see that they are a member of 300 other groups, I am making the assumption based off of previous experience that you're a spammer. (laughs) So, So if you're a part of 300 and some groups and you keep trying to get in and I keep deleting you or declining you, then it's because I think you're a spammer. So you can just send me a private message and let me know like, hey, Kaylin. <laughs> but I don't think the average person is really involved in over 300 groups because your Facebook feed would be absolutely ridiculous at this point. But anyways, my point is go to the Facebook group and share different ways that you prevent food waste. All the tips are always beneficial. Even if it's ones that we already talked about, Take a picture or just give feedback and let us like share, share with the group. Here's what we're doing. By sharing tips, it gives others ideas on things that they can do also. I just want to spread the knowledge and information of different ways to prevent food waste and all things related to sustainability. Well, you know what that means. It's the end of the episode and it is time for the challenge, which is... Invest in a bamboo toothbrush since they're more sustainable than plastic ones. That one, we've talked about that probably like three years ago. From the very beginning, getting bamboo toothbrushes. And they're getting more and more popular. They are widely available and easy to find, which is awesome. (laughs) So if you have not done so yet, 
feel free. This is your challenge now to invest in a bamboo toothbrush the next time that you need one. Go ahead and grab one. If you're like me and have receding gum lines and the dentist says you really need electric toothbrushes, they do make electric toothbrushes with wooden interchangeable heads, which is really awesome. You gotta hunt a little bit for them, but you can find them. So that's really cool too. The next episode will be May 2nd. So put that in your calendars now so you don't miss it. We're gonna be talking about geothermal. What the heck is it? <laughs> How do we do it? How much does it cost? <laughs> but basically geothermal is using the earth to heat and cool your house and all the different inner workings of it. And we'll do a little comparison to solar panels to see which one is better, efficient, sustainable, cost effective. Tune in on May 2nd to find out. Until then, Sustainer Nation, continue to save the world and it is moving weekend for us. This is literally Thursday right before we do the big move. So our house is empty and bare and very echoey. <laughs> it's kind of weird to just see plain walls. All of our decorations are down. I'm like, it's just a house now. It doesn't feel like our home anymore. It's a weird, unsettling feeling, but it's exciting at the same time. We're about to move into the new house and get set up there. So we're about to do a bunch of work for the next two days for us. So I will talk to you all on May 2nd and let you know how the big move went. Hopefully painless and smooth and perfectly fine. No issues, right? <laughs> all right, take care and I will talk to you all next time. Have a great one. Bye. There are so many wonderful people doing amazing things around the globe. If you want to hear more about what we're doing down under, jump on over to Unbook Your Shopping Cart, a podcast who speaks to companies who have the eco thing down pat with some simple tips and hints on how you or your workplace can make small changes that can add up to a whole lot. Together, we can start a movement and make this planet a whole lot greener.